Hey everyone, welcome to the Project Esports Podcast. My name is Dylan, and today we're going to be sitting down and talking to the director of Coker College Esports. Uh, his name is Rudy. Uh, he's an old friend of mine, so let's just hop right into it, and I hope you guys really enjoy it. Thanks. Uh, right now, I am, like I said earlier, the director and head coach for all esports titles at Coker College. Um, we are currently working on getting uh, teams for Overwatch, League of Legends, and Hearthstone. We are set to start right in the fall. We've been mostly, right now, it's been mostly just recruiting and setting up the gaming space, which we should have done this week. So I'll be sure to tweet out some of those photos once those are at. But yeah, before having this job, I was mostly in the collegiate scene through Penn State Esports, where I was part of the club for five or six years um, during my uh, fifth year while at the college, I became the president of the esports club. And I was after I've been doing so much stuff with them, mostly on the broadcasting and uh, casting side and tournament organizing. But then I slowly went to the administration side during my final year there. And because of the knowledge I got through there, I now have a legit job in esports. Nice. And so for anyone who doesn't know, um, I think I mentioned this a couple times on the podcast, um, but during that year, uh, you were president uh, Penn State Esports, and I was your vice president during that mm -hmm. year. Um, definitely a really good experience. Um, definitely had a lot of really good memories at Penn State Esports. Um, what do you think you kind of gained from Penn State Esports um, that led you into your director role? And what's like uh, the advantages that you had? Because like you have really good insight into collegiate esports going into mm -hmm. it. Um, what do you think you brought into that that makes you like a, a good director? Yeah, so I think the main advantage that I got from that is, of course, all the networking that you do just from being a president, working with TESPO, working with even Riot Games specifically. I've been able to learn a lot about the scene itself, of how the collegiate scene, and be on the inside as it was growing. Back when I was president, it was probably the first year when collegiate esports was getting big. It was the first year of Heroes of the Dorm. Um, it was the first year of ULAW, or if not a year prior, but it was... It was uh, great to be able to be there and see how everything was getting started. And that helped me a lot because when I came over to Coker, that's exactly what we were doing. We were starting a whole new program, starting everything from scratch, basically. We didn't even have a video gaming club on campus before I got here. Um, but one that thing that's really cool is that for, because we announced the esports team, there's been actually a lot of people who play a lot more casually and didn't want to necessarily be part of the esports team, but they wanted to be a part of a video game club. So I'm helping them start out with them being their uh, advisor for the first year as they're growing. And we're hoping to do a few uh, collaborations with them. And yeah, so the one thing that I learned most about Penn State is how to work with not getting or when you're not getting a lot of help. As you know, uh, Penn State doesn't help oh, us yeah. at all. We had to fight tooth and nail for absolutely everything in order to do practically whatever we wanted to. Um, we had the fortunacy to work with the College of Communication during our year together. And without that cooperation, I don't know if we would have been able to run the events that we were able to. But I was able to take everything I knew from there of just getting what you can to make it work and bring it over to Coker. Granted, they are giving me almost everything that I've asked for so far. And that's one thing I love it because talking with a few other directors and head coaches, it seems a lot of them are like, no, you have to do it our specific way. Here are the rules. Here's that. Coker just said, hey, whatever you think is best, go ahead and do it. And I think that's one thing I love is that everyone's on board. No one is skeptical about it. And 
everyone's pretty excited. That's definitely something very refreshing to hear, um, just because administration could be a really hard barrier um, when it comes to collegiate esports. Now, how does it feel going from on like the fighting side of where you're fighting against administration to like now being administration? It's a lot different. It, it, I'm so used to like going for the bare minimum of what we need, saying along the lines of stuff like, oh, I think like, for example, we're getting like an Overwatch team has our most players and just like, oh, I think we only need about six computers. And the admission would be like, I oh, don't know, we can afford eight or nine. So it's like, it's crazy to think that from going to a spot and being like, this is all we need. This is, this is the bare minimum. And just hoping that you get that to saying like, I could actually go for the medium to high end stuff. Like our computers that we have, they are, I'm kind of jealous of what the players are able to play on because my home computer is nothing even comparison to it. So they have really great computers. We're filling it with uh, eight computers to start out with and we're just going to be growing. Uh, the room we have is already capability of holding more computers, but we're just seeing how the first year goes. And yeah, like they're giving me full freedom. Like when I was recruiting, they basically just said, it's like whoever you think is good, we're going to bring in. Um, they just had to go through administration like any other sport does, but I really don't have to keep in touch with my AD too much. She always she always comes in and, and likes to talk about like, hey, what's going on and get updates, but it's not like I have to go to her for permission. And AD, uh, athletic director? Yes, athletic okay. director. Now, uh, I'm, I'm, I was really excited to talk to you about this just because like, I, it's, it's very um, infrequent where I get to talk about like collegiate esports in depth anymore. Um, with someone mm -hmm. who's like right in it and like knows like the whole deal and it's been in it for years. So how do you feel about like the state of collegiate esports right now? Um, especially with like the rise of like positions like yours coming up of where like schools are actually starting to take players in and giving them scholarships and forming teams and all that. Yeah, I think collegiate esports is at a great spot right now. One thing that works out really well is that there are multiple different kind of schools out there. I kind of put them into like four categories, kind of four kind of tiers of support with uh, the bottom being like the zero tier where it's like things like Penn State, other schools along the same lines where they get zero administration support. And one that's great to see is that a lot of these schools that are getting zero support are still doing well. Like Penn State, for example, just won the Hearthstone World Championship for the TESPA tournament. So they're still doing well. And that's just because of these schools that have just vast numbers that they could just recruit from pretty easily where it's just the clubs finding whoever's possible. Then you kind of have like the, the next tier where it's like the schools do give a little bit of support, but they're using it mostly just to recruit students getting more bodies on campus. They might help you get computers, give you a little bit of uh, money for uh, registration fees and stuff like that. And maybe a few scholarships, but they're not putting too much into it. They're not really looking to compete. They're just looking to get bodies. And if, to put it to like League of Legends terms, it's like you're getting like maybe like gold and plat players to come and play for your team. You're not going to like really compete at the high level, but you're not going to have absolutely nothing. And then the next tier is kind of like where Coker's at, where they are still using it to bring more bodies to campus, but they are still looking to compete. They are still looking to do fairly well. And it's going to be giving a little bit more where the scholarships can be a decent amount. We have one kid who's coming to campus who's going to be paying, I think, 2K a year to come to Coker. And wow. this is this is a school with an out-of-state tuition of like uh, 39000 So he's got a really good scholarship, both academically and athletic. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, luckily, he is in-state. So it does, he does get roughly like 
of I would say somewhere between 10 and 12,000 more off, but he's still really well off for what he's going to be coming here for. So there's a lot of support there. We're creating a good gaming space. They're going to have a lot of support on campus. They're being treated just like any other sports program, which most other schools aren't doing the same. And then you have, of course, the tier, like the top tier schools where you have um, the three that I always use is um, Columbia College, Maryville, and now Harrisburg. They're the ones that are giving full rides. They're looking to compete at the highest level. Harrisburg, I believe, is dropping millions of dollars into their esports program. So they're not using this to get bodies on campus, but using it more as a marketing tool. And it's just a different way to do it. It's what most schools use sports for. Uh, Penn State doesn't really use uh, Penn State football to bring in more students. They use it for a marketing tool that, well, they could bring in more because of it because they have a great football team. It brings in revenue because people are coming to see their games. And now people are doing that on the esports side. Now it's only three schools doing it at this point, but it'll eventually grow to more. Um, and the one thing that I, I, in my opinion, that a lot of schools have to think of is that there's not a lot of room for these top tier schools that could go ahead and drop millions of dollars onto a program because there's only a finite amount of top tier collegiate players. And that's because uh, the high school scene is still slowly lagging behind the collegiate scene. So there's not a lot of those great players that you could recruit from, but I think that'll eventually change in the near future. Yeah. I think it's definitely interesting on where it's going. And like right now we are seeing a lot of like smaller schools like Coker college mm -hmm. of where you guys are like smaller. Um, but that's been a huge advantage for you guys. Cause it's like small lean, you can make decisions super quick. Yeah. Um, and they're super on board with these things like esports, where we're seeing like, um, big old schools like Penn state and Ohio state they're just not going anywhere on it. And mm -hmm. do you think that there is going to be like a, a big wave of like big tent schools or anything like that to kind of come into esports and um, kind of take over with just having like immense pressure? Or do you think that's a lot of years off still? I think it will be relatively soon. It's going to take just one school to get on board to, for the other ones to basically be like, oh, we can't have, like, for example, like if Michigan adds in, all the other Big Ten schools are like, well, we can't have just let Michigan do what they want. We kind of have to compete with them. Um, and there's, I've seen job openings for a program director in esports for Michigan. Um, it was only open for like 10 days. So I'm, I'm assuming they already had someone in mind and they just kind of had to put it out there legally. Yeah, so, probably a big name. Yeah. So I think that like they're bringing in like, for example, Chad at, at, uh, at Harrisburg, who was history teacher in the collegiate, or not the collegiate, but the professional scene earlier. They probably have someone very similar to him coming in to run that program and it's something that i feel like one thing that's going to be needed is that these top schools of harrisburg columbia and maryville they're going to have to consistently win these tournaments or schools are going to realize like well like penn state winning at hearthstone there's an argument of well why should we support a school if this team that's not supported is going to win anyway so we kind of need those top tier schools to kind of do well now they have been in league of legends um so that's been basically the games that they've been focusing on. I know, for example, Columbia right now only has a League of Legends team. They're not really looking to grow just yet. They're kind of slowly building up. They want to kind of make sure that they're hardcore on the game that they're doing. Um, Harrisburg has both League, Overwatch, and Hearthstone. And I know Maryville is teasing a Overwatch team now. They'll be probably releasing that very soon. So I'm really excited to see how these top-tier schools do because if they do well, then the scene will grow around it. If they don't, I don't, I, there'll be a lot of people pulling funding then. Cause if you don't win when you're putting in these millions of dollars, when Penn state's putting nothing in, 
it's yeah, going it's like, to be bad point? against them. Yeah, what's the point? Um, the one advantage that the D1 schools have currently is that they have a massive student base where they could just pull top-tier players on because they're just going to happen to be there. You have so many students to look for. You're going to have good players on your campus. And I feel like once Michigan gets on board, other schools will be following, and it'll be one of those where it'll take years to grow. First year, they're probably just going to pull in from the student base that they have to try to get the best team possible. They'll probably slowly start recruiting. Um, they might not have to give any sort of scholarship or anything like that just because it's the big names. But I think they'll slowly start giving support. And like you said, D1 schools, they, they take a long time to do really anything. So this is, might be a few years out. I think once Michigan finally gets their stuff settled out, it'll be another year until other ones start having some sort of smaller program. And yeah, like you said, the collegiate scene is currently dominated by D2 schools, and that's just because of how flexible they are. Yeah, and I mean, especially on the West Coast, too, with all those schools, with all the funding that they're putting in, they're doing super well. Now, mm -hmm. the one um, kind of point of contention, I think, that I always start to feel whenever these schools are putting uh, more funding in and the administration is like really starting to get on board is that I definitely worry about the clubs um, mm -hmm. Just because um, all the work that we put into the club and stuff, we definitely got a lot out of it. Um, we got a lot of skills. We learned a lot of different things. I mean, like the club, like got you that job basically because yeah. you were like, I, I did the, all this stuff with the club. You should hire mm -hmm. me. And I worry that administration coming in and starting to pick up programs. So like these these Big Ten schools, I know all the Big Ten schools do have esports clubs um, with you know, a bunch of students who actually really care about esports and they're putting the work in and they're getting all these skills. I just worry that if administration comes in and goes, oh, well, no, we're going to handle the teams and we'll handle the events and stuff that it might take away a little bit from that. Do you, do you kind of think the same thing or do you think it's going to play out a little bit differently? I, I do uh, worry about a little bit of the same things there. Um, I think if any of these administrators are smart, they will work with the clubs and not just take away from them. I understand saying like, hey, we're going to take your top tier players. We're going to give them spots to play. We'll have our own coach to make sure that we do, that they are practicing well. Like taking control of the top tier players to represent the school makes sense to me. But like you said, when it goes to the event managing and like the smaller things, the, the viewing parties, the, whenever we had our lands, for example, that we ran, I would love to see them work together with the clubs instead of just taking completely over. Because I think if they just completely take over, they're not going to be able to run it well. Most people in administration don't really know about esports and don't really know the scene really too well at all. I just re recently came back from Atlanta where, um, which uh, NACE, which is the North American uh, Collegiate Esports Association, they had their first convention this past weekend where about 150 schools came down to there. And I believe after talking with Michael Brooks, who is the president of NACE, um, got to talk to him for a bit. And he even said that over half of the schools that were there don't have a program yet and are just kind of looking into starting it and talking to these guys they really don't know esports they're athletic people or student life people who know their field very well but they just don't know the esports scene and most of them talking to they they are all for of hiring someone specifically for the esports position kind of like what my job is if not getting help from their it department or someone on campus already who does know it so i don't think they'll make the rash decision of completely taking it over that might happen a few years out uh, once esports kind of starts becoming a lot more mainstream. But if they're smart for the first year, first couple of years, they will work together with their club 
And yeah, like you said, I'm really hoping that the clubs just don't go away. One worry that I have, though, is that the clubs are going to become uh, very political. Because if you're working with the administration, you're working with, for example, Penn State, there's a lot of want to be like part of being the president or being the vice president. We did it because we had a passion for esports and a passion for the club. We wanted to see it grow. People are going to do it in the future because they want a job. And that's one thing that I'm worried about. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think administration has to come in for that kind of stuff to happen. I know just like being in, in the scene and stuff and talking with different um, officers of different clubs and different members of different clubs, that kind of stuff already happens. Um, and it's pretty commonplace for a lot of clubs, actually. Um, there's a lot of weird, really weird drama and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's definitely not unique to esports clubs. Um, there's definitely drama in a lot oh, yeah. of just like school clubs in particular. Um, but yeah, that's definitely, I think one of the big hindrances of like collegiate organizations is just the really weird drama that goes in around it of mm -hmm. people trying to, trying to get positions and all that. And, um, basically just a lot of infighting and it's, it's definitely a big shame, uh, because you, this whole thing is like run on passion essentially with a lot of different schools that you need to definitely put that stuff aside and just, uh, kind of like work together and to make good things happen. Yeah, and we, I definitely saw that, like like I said, when we became president and vice president, we didn't have any th sort of future thing. I was like, oh, this is going to help me get a job. And well, in esports, it's obviously we thought like being a president of a club does help you on your resume, but we just never thought of how esports is going to grow and we we're going to have specific esports jobs. And I kind of noticed in a couple of elections, uh, including at Penn State, where people, there's a little bit of ulterior motives in there in some places. But it's that just happens with anything that becomes big. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the Smash scene is seeing the same thing just because of how big uh, Smash Valley is. Yeah, and Khalil, like shout out to him. Like I, I oh, always like yeah. to give him shout outs because he built up something really, really amazing at Penn State. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, Smash Valley is like a really big, and it is considered like a regional now uh, Smash mm -hmm. tournament um, that takes place in Penn State. Um, and he built this thing up from almost nothing at kind of like the, it, it was definitely peaking up to like the, the peak of like smash popularity and for him to come up like just in a college town with basically just a lot of people interested in smash and yeah. that's really it and turn it into like a big regional where you have like top tier players coming out. Super, super amazing. Yeah. He definitely did something extremely well there. And like you said, it came from almost nothing and it wasn't even a slow grind to get what he did. He went out guns a blazing year one. Yeah. Like I remember saying like he got pros coming in day one for these tournaments and the prize pool was actually something that was competing a lot of other regionals. It wasn't, it didn't start out like you see uh, these small tournaments where you get maybe 10 people coming in at a comic shop and it's just a small little tournament, which I love seeing those and love having those go around. But no, he did something really, really well the first year. Yeah, and he got a job at, um, I forget what company it is. It's it's like uh, slipping my mind. Um, might be Challenge. It might be that. He He's working for for some big company I know that does Smash stuff. Um, see if he can find it. I know it's on his like Facebook profile. But yeah, he definitely got a really good job out of college, which he for sure deserves that because he's like one of the best, like not even just like Smash mm -hmm. TOs, but just one of the best tournament organization or tur tournament organizers I've ever seen. Yeah, it looks like it's uh, smash.gg. Yeah, smash.gg, that's it.
which yeah, that's like I believe the one of the biggest orgs in the Smash scene, if not the biggest. Yeah. Um, sadly, the Smash scene is uh, my least known scene. Um, all I really know is from what I've learned talking to Khalil and going to Smash Valley. That's yeah. basically my extent of knowledge in it. Yeah, and so actually that kind of leads me into my next point that I want to touch upon is um, I know for me, uh, whenever I was coming up through the esports club and going up and eventually becoming president and stuff, I was a, just a big StarCraft guy and big Street Fighter guy. Um, but whenever I kind of took over those new roles, I had to become an esports guy rather than just a fan of those games. And I know you were super, super into League of Legends, and that's like one of the games you're most passionate about, but especially going into this director role of where you have to turn that like um, that favoritism off, uh, how do you, you see yourself slipping into the role of like not just the League of Legends guy, but just the esports guy and just being an esports advocate? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like you said, I was big on League of Legends, and now I'm going to be coaching not only that, but hearthstone and overwatch even though i'm still struggling in overwatch um it's something that i at least know enough in order to coach it and yeah like you said one thing that did help me out is growing up i've watched almost every sports out there be it baseball be it soccer be it football i would spend my days watching sports because i just love the competitiveness of it um and if i wasn't watching sports i was probably either out playing sports or playing video games as I came to Penn State and I learned about esports, it was the perfect combination for me uh, of between sports and video games. And one thing that I loved is that I found out about StarCraft. I, I heard about it here and there, but I'd never played it. I heard about it because of the esports club. And probably my first viewing party I went to while at Penn State was for um, a StarCraft, I believe it was a world championship or I'm not exactly sure what they're called, invitationals or something like that. And watching that i was i was hooked on starcraft just what from watching it and i feel like that's one thing that definitely helps me out is that i could go and watch any esport the other day i was watching the vods for uh, the rainbow six siege tournament i've never played the game and i was very interested i was still learning the game and i was very um like hyped to watch these teams play and that's one that definitely helps out if you can at least get hype and want to learn different games uh then it works out for you great um I've talked to a few people who it's like, oh, I play Overwatch, I play Hearthstone. It's like, I can't stand watching League of Legends. I can't even talk about the game. It's like, that's not going to help you in these roles if you are able to spread yourself out and watch these games, learn about them. It's going to help you out immensely. Yeah, I definitely think that's a skill people should for sure pick up if you're going into esports. It's just learning how to love esports as a whole because if one game gets popular, I mean, all the other games are going to kind of go up with it. I mean, mm -hmm. especially since I, I think Overwatch League, it's doing super, super well right now. And I think one of the reasons why it's doing so well is because League of Legends had such success doing franchising and all that and, and being super big and super popular. If it wasn't that big and that popular, Blizzard probably wouldn't have put or tried to put in the infrastructure into Overwatch League. So mm -hmm. you have to kind of love all esports um, if you want to be a big advocate for it. Oh, yeah. And you had to get rid of a lot of your biases like for example i still am on the field of that i don't think fortnite or like realm royale is going to become a big esport it's was a genius to the first school who did it it put their name on the map it got them a lot of students coming in um but they're using it purely marketing i don't think they're going to be really looking to compete at all just because i still don't think that fortnite is going to become a big esport if there's tournaments for it if stuff's going to happen in it i'll create a team on campus i will more than happy 
uh, help fund these guys to get them to play. I'm still a little skeptical on it, but it's something where it's like, even though I'm skeptical, I have to look at the bigger picture, see like, okay, even if it is only going to last a year or two years, there's still people on campus that would be willing to play. I might not recruit for these games because I feel like it might die down and I don't want to recruit someone to a four-year college who might only be playing for a year, two years, but there's still people on campus that love to play it. Like, for example, I didn't recruit for Smite or Paladins this year just because I didn't think it was going to be big in the collegiate scene. I was wrong. Nace is holding a tournament with them where there's a $50,000 prize pool for both those games. And it's something where I'm going to say like, okay, I was wrong. Smite Paladins, they have a tournament. We'll see what we have on campus uh, and pull a team together. Cause I'm not just going to be it's like, well, I don't think it's going to work out. I'm not going to create a team because then it, you're taking away opportunities from students. So it's something that you have to uh, learn and look at the bigger picture and not say like, oh, bias, like, oh, Goat is dead, League of Legends the best, or Paladins is just a copy of Overwatch. You gotta, you gotta support all esports titles. Yeah, I'm super surprised about uh, Paladins and Smite, though. Mm -hmm. um, those are definitely games that have flown under the radar recently. I know Smite um, definitely had a lot of popularity when it came out, just because it was like, oh, this is new MOBA, and it's like, and it operates differently than the other yeah. ones. So it's super popular, but I really haven't heard too much about it. So definitely glad that those scenes are getting some love. Yeah, it's great to see. And I feel like what high res has been doing is that they've really nailed down the casual market of like the esports and the shooters with like Paladins and Smite. They have a lot of player base playing. Now it might not be the hardcore esports players that you see you don't see a lot of tournaments for these ga games uh smite does have a decent following in esports and paladins i feel like this is one of their first tournaments that i've heard about um luckily enough i actually when i went to atlanta i got to tour high res i got to tour skillshot which uh is a company that high res brought upon to basically do like a broadcasting for esports titles they're mostly doing high res games now but they're kind of branching out to additional games that are not just high res games but being able to tour that broadcasting studio was pretty amazing. And one thing I loved is actually we got to go into the studio where the analyst desk was while the game was going on. Uh, we got we got there at a perfect time so that they weren't really doing anything except watching the games. And I just walked in and one of the person on the analyst desk is actually someone who I've worked with at a different uh, org just volunteering. And it was really cool to see that she is now doing well in the scene. Um, she's now like uh, one of the biggest broadcasters for most high-res games, I believe. She's been working at Skillshot for a bit. Um, that's pretty amazing. I mean, that's I think that's an occurrence that definitely happens a lot um, when mm -hmm. you're in the scene. Is The scene has so many people in it, and there's so many different job roles, but it's also really small that yeah. like you'll be working on something, and someone will come in to, to work on it as well, and you'll be like, oh... That's so weird. I worked on you, like worked with you on on something else, like a couple years back. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and there's so many job opportunities coming up soon uh, for not only directors but coaches as well. And a lot of these uh, teams are actually looking for analysts for their teams as well. So, everything is not on site. The one thing that we kind of saw is that when you have like your main coach for all games and your director, those are going to be on site at the college. But you have analyst positions where if you are just like a League of Legends or Hearthstone analyst, you can work off-site and remotely. So there's still those opportunities as well for all these schools. That's something that we are going to be thinking about uh, using um, just because it's been kind of big in the scene already with like Gamer Sensei and sites like that where they have online coaching. It's something that these schools are going to be looking for, full, not full-time, but part-time positions as well. And 
like I said, I think last year there was 60 to 80 uh, NACE schools that offered scholarships athletically or uh, within student life to these players. I think this year they're practically going to double to around like 120. And then for after that, it might be 200 for the like the 2020, 2021 school year. Um, or no, it would be the 29th. No, yeah, that would be that, right? Because it's the 29th or 18, 2019 school year coming up. So I feel like it's going to really grow really fast. So, and because of that, there's just going to be so many coaching, so many director positions open. And these schools that are in here trying to create these positions, they don't have people that know esports. So there's a lot of opportunity out there. And so if I was talking to someone who was there, I think he was a intern at high res. He was kind of wanting to get into this esports scene down the line. And it's my main thing that I would say is just get really, uh, get really involved with your local scene, with your local club. That's basically what I did. It's, I know what you did and it's going to really do wonders when these jobs are looking. Yeah. Cause you have to kind of, build your own resume still yeah. um, because you're not going to be able to go to a lot of colleges and get an esports degree. Now, I mean, mm -hmm. there are some starting to come up, which is super, super cool. Um, but that's not going to be available at a lot of the colleges. So you have to go in there, you have to build up your own resume so that you can get these initial opportunities and you can go into the scene and, and start picking up skills there. Now, yeah, um, you mentioned a little bit back that um, you're doing coaching as well. So is it challenging? Like not only like directing, um, like all esports at the college, but also slipping into like a coach role as well. Yeah, it's going to be pretty tough, especially when we add in more titles and it's something where even talking with uh, administration here at Coker that we are going to start getting, uh, more people to help out down the line and especially doing a lot of these analyst positions off site. Um, just because there's so much going on, there's like there's recruiting, there's making sure that the players are playing, and then on top of all the duties that you have to do to make sure that the teams are well off, that, that the that any events in the future are fully planned out, you also have to do your daily coaching job, and it's three different titles, so it's like it's not like we have like for I always use track as a great analogy for esports because you have your League of Legends players, you have your Hearthstone players, you have your long distance runners, you have your jumpers, you have your throwers. There's a lot of different things. And trying to get a throwing coach to also teach sprinting is probably impossible or just very unlikely. And it's something that we're going to, have to look at in esports as well is that once we're finally established, when we add more games in that I'm not sure on, for example, Paladins and Smite, I've only played a handful of Smite games and never touched Paladins. So it's going to be extremely tough for me to coach. Um, it, I'm going to rely a lot on the captains of the team. Like I have a really great player on my Overwatch team who's been helping out a lot. He's uh, been a coach for a contenders team, so he knows how to do the coaching. So he's going to help me out quite a bit with that. And actually, he recruited for me a bit as well. I have about two players that he uh, was team teammates with prior, and he knew that they were looking for college as well. So it's just a perfect opportunity. So it's a lot of me relying on my players until we could uh, get the get our internal scene going, so that we could start getting these analysts, so that we could have someone whose specific job is to make sure that the team is as best as they can be. Yeah, and so with all these hats that you're putting on, um, as far as like recruiting and stuff like that, how, how has that been um, over the past year, just recruiting people to, to play on the teams? Recruiting has been interesting to say the least. It was definitely a slow start, just because a lot of, these, a lot of the players didn't even know of these recruiting opportunities. And it was me of just having to get my name out there 
And it was just a lot of going to any Discord that I could see that might have had high-level players on it um, or going and seeing, like, there's a couple of high school leagues, talking to the players there and hoping that the person I'm talking to is a senior or at least a junior so that we could recruit him shortly. And it was definitely very slow at first. I think my first three months while at Coker, I maybe got two people. And in the past month, I've gotten probably another four or five alone. So it's definitely been very delayed. Um, one thing I've noticed is that players are waiting to the last moment to kind of look around and see what schools they want. I've actually had someone who we just finalized last week who's coming in. I'm still waiting on one guy's SAT score, so we could finally get him in. Um, and also the international scene is something that I had to learn. Uh, China, I know, has a lot of uh, players, but I've actually got two players from New Zealand who's going to be coming up. But sadly, the way that New Zealand works is that they don't have like a 2018-2019 school year. They just have a 2018 school year. So they start in this in um, so they start spring and fall instead of the opposite, like the United States does. So even though he's graduating this year, I have to wait until the spring that we can finally recruit him because he won't be graduating high school until the fall. So luckily, most Overwatch tournaments are later in the year, so that it, it works out. He'll just have to uh, quickly adapt to the team. But yeah, it's been definitely something that I wasn't used to. Being at Penn State, the the extent of our recruiting was going to uh the what were they at the beginning of the year involvement fairs the involvement fairs and just saying like hey do you play esports and hoping that they played one of your titles and hoping they knew a high level player so that they could join the team and it worked fairly well there that's all we had to do just because of the player base at penn state was massive and it helped us out but when you're recruiting it's a little salesy just because you have to be like, oh, here's our school. This is what it's involved in. This is what the club's going to be like. And you have to kind of convince them to come. But it's a lot easier because uh, with my extent in sales, I was trying to sell a product to someone who wasn't interested. And it was something that I'm not even interested in. I did not care about the products. But in esports, we are both interested in this sort of thing. So it's a lot easier and it's a lot less salesy. But there's that aspect in there when recruiting. So it definitely seems like it's not traditional um, sports recruiting for sure. Of oh, not you're, at all. Because you're hopping in discords and all that. But yeah. is there opportunities for you to go to like any high schools to like, like scout out talent or just like talk or anything like that yet? So I went to a few of the local high schools. Um, that's probably a little less than an hour drive away. I went to two or three and it was just talking to the gaming clubs, making sure to spread the word like, hey, there's an esports scene now that it's going to be something big. So keep on the lookout for when you're looking at colleges, see if they have an esports program as well, if you're looking at that. Um, but there was an event at RMU this past couple of months, I think two or three months back, where there's a league called, um, I think it's the IHSEA, which is like Indi or, uh, Illinois High School Esports Association or something like that. They actually had a tournament where they brought in the top four teams in uh, Illinois to compete at RMU live, uh, both JV and varsity. So it was really cool to go there. You got to talk to the players, you got to see them directly and then just go and watch their games. So there's a few opportunities like that. And I'm sure there's going to be more in the future. We are planning a few for South Carolina in the near future so that we could start, instead of going to other schools that are doing this, we could run it ourselves and bring the schools in. Um, so definitely be on the lookout of that. That will probably start, I'm hoping as soon as the school year starts, but we're going to have to talk to a, a lot of schools to get them on board for this sort of thing. Now, so you're not like a, you're not like super young or anything. You're not like early 20s. Um, you're still like mid 20s and stuff. But mm -hmm. as far as being like administrator um, at a college, that's definitely very young. 
have you run into like any issues with being so young and in you know a pretty big position at a school or has everyone been pretty accommodating to that and understanding of your skills so at least at coker i've had absolutely no issues about being young um it's kind of weird because i'm 25 right now which in the esports scene is fairly old especially the collegiate esports scene but when i go to these events with there's a lot of other administration or other coaches other directors i am usually the youngest one there so at least when it comes to the collegiate side, when it comes to the planning, the uh, admins, I am on the young side, but because of how the esports scene in general is so new and so young, it's not anything strange. And one of the biggest success stories in collegiate esports is probably, you've heard of, probably heard of him, Drake Porter, who is the coach at Columbia College. And he's done so many things. I think at the age of 17, he was coaching like Curse Academy or something in the, in the professional scene back in like season three season four so he's done a lot in um the collegiate scene and he started really young he said he had a few players who were not wanting to learn from a coach who was younger than them especially when he was still a teenager but because of how young the scene is overall i've had no major problems so far yeah that's definitely good to hear because that's one thing i would worry about with some of the bigger schools um Mm -hmm especially since like academics can be pretty political um that that would be an issue that some someone coming in at a bigger school might face so it's definitely good to hear at least some of the smaller schools like that that isn't so much an issue it definitely seems like they're really accommodating um so you you were mentioning a little bit about bringing like some of the high schools like out to you guys but do you guys have any big plans coming up or any anything exciting that you're planning with the college so right now it's still planning stage. We still have to like do all the logistics and see if we're able to do it. But one thing that I want to do is uh, a bit of a league where it's like, um, I don't want to use the name just because there's a soccer association that uses it down here, but it's kind of like the clash of the Carolinas where I want to bring in uh, a lot of South Carolina schools, a lot of North Carolina schools and have them compete against each other. Uh, kind of a plan that I want to do is have basically a league maybe during the fall where it would be like all the South Carolina schools face off against each other to see who's the best South Carolina school, same with North Carolina, and then have it during the spring, have a big event where we bring down the top two teams from each state and they basically compete to see which is the better state. And I feel like it'd be a, it's a great way just for us to get our name out there. It's a great opportunity for our, the players on our team to get some tournament organizing experience because the one thing that I want to do mostly for the players here is – in the collegiate scene, it's very rare to go pro just because of how many players are trying to do that. Um, there are some people out there who can learn enough from the collegiate scene to have a chance of going pro. But if it's only probably like two, three people per graduating class, so it's definitely extremely hard to do it. But with all of these jobs out there with directing, coaching, broadcasting, you name it, there's so many jobs in the esports scene that needs to be filled, especially in the collegiate scene. They, I'm, I want to make sure that I prepare them for, for that if they want an esports job. And if, if they told me, I'd say, hey, I want to do coaching in the future. I'll help them, like, I'll have them helping me out, be an assistant coach for me. If they want to do broadcasting in the future, we'll make sure to have like a streaming room set up so that they're able to learn how to stream, learn how to cast if they want to, or just want to learn how to do camera work. There's a lot of different things you do. And I want to make sure that they're ready for the future for their traditional job for whatever their degree says they want to get, as well as their dream job in esports. That's definitely a really good approach. I, I definitely like that a lot. Um, I think 
players in are, are in a weird position when going to school and playing for uh, an esports team because mm-hmm. whenever a player goes goes pro, usually they're like sixteen to twenty is when they're like their peak performances. Yeah, you rarely have people come in when they're like twenty two, twenty three, and then that's when they start to shine. So it's it's definitely um, interesting for players who are coming in because they're giving. I mean, they're not necessarily giving up those years, but they're but they're using those years in college rather than the pro scene. So they definitely have to pick up a lot of skills. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I know that the average age of pro players is going up, thankfully, because it used to be like uh, I remember Crepo was talking about that when he was a big pro back in season two, season till season five, probably. He uh, had he he was even saying like he was getting too old for the game, which is crazy to think about. That he's roughly my age and he's too old to be a professional gaming or gamer. But I feel like that's because like me and you growing up when we were kids, I I didn't have a computer until probably like my teenage years. So that I and by then the games were very basic. So we kind of had a lot of catching up to do to the play to the kids who basically probably had a computer since they're like five six years old and just had these amazing games to just learn off of right away. So they kind of had a lot more time to get better at the game than we did. Because by the time we finally had like some sort of responsibility, because I missed the days of high school where I could literally just go to school, come home and play games until I fall asleep. Summer, it's just, I wake up, play games, fall asleep. Just ladder so if, all day. Yeah, it's just basically game all day, ladder all day. It's like, we would have, we would be a lot uh, better off if we had our younger years to get really good at gaming which there's these younger kids that do have that opportunity, which is weird. It's just a three-year difference, but how technology advances so fast, they had those extra three quality years of gaming experience. So that by the time we finally got the responsibilities of either you graduate high school, you need to get a job or go to college, so you have less time gaming, they're still in high school. They're still in middle school even getting so much better. So now that the ages are starting to stabilize, I think you'll start to see some of those 25, 26 year old pros that are still doing well. Um, I'm not exactly sure how old like Double Lift or Bjergsen is, but I'm sure they're close to that age. So do you think it's going to start moving in the direction of like football or basketball of where a viable path to, to going pro is going to play college ball and then going on to the pros? In the future, I do believe. I, I feel like the, the three scenes that um, are growing right now is the collegiate, the pro, and the amateur scene. Um, most pros, pro teams do look at the amateur scene to bring up, not so much college. And a lot of amateur teams look at college players to, to bring into them. So it's kind of a, a nice little progression like that. The only difference between that and modern sports is that with no NCAA restrictions and really no restrictions at all. There's nothing saying that a player can't play both collegiately and amateur at the same time. And I have a few players who are doing that. So that progression is a little bit skewed just because you can do collegiate and amateur at the same time. So it makes it a lot easier for the pro teams to bring in, uh, but it makes it a lot harder for those amateur players who don't want to have to compete with college students as well. Um, but yeah, speaking of like NCAA restrictions, it, helps out a lot with recruiting that there's none of that because i didn't know this until i worked here there's a lot of times that you can't recruit there's a lot of periods where you can't even talk to your players there's specific ways how you recruit like you have to put in a request to email somebody it's really ridiculous really? the amount of like hurdles you have to go through while recruiting 
And there's even stuff where it's like, you cannot, if someone's on a school visit, they cannot play with the team. Like they could socialize with the team, but they can't just like go onto the soccer pitch and play like pick up with the team or anything like that. Like that's a huge violation of NCAA, but there's nothing saying that we can't bring someone in and have them play games in our gaming space with them or even just do practices or scrims online against potential recruits. There's so many things that we could do that uh, traditional sports can't. Wow, I didn't know there was so much like red tape around yeah. it. I mean, definitely if there was restrictions, you wouldn't be popping in discords and sending mm. out messages like that. All that stuff, like, because I remember there were slow days at the office because we were like, oh yeah, we can't do anything. Like we can't talk to the players. We can't have them contact us. They can't even contact our team. So it's literally just dead periods in the recruiting process because they're legally can't do anything. While I'm there talking to people on discord, get, setting up uh games together and there's just so much more stuff that we could do and that's one reason why i hope ncaa doesn't pick up esports because then i feel like the, the esports scene it's just the wild west right now but that really describes what esports is it's pretty wild there's not a lot of structure in it um there's structure where there needs to be and then there's no structure where there doesn't and that's one thing i love about esports is that there's no restrictions yeah, definitely just because it's so new and everything that you're able to keep things like moving fast and all that. So yeah, I definitely didn't know that. So that's like another little checkbox of why um, mm -hmm. they shouldn't be involved. But yeah, do you think that they're going to try to push to be involved with it? And have we seen like an example of like a sport, like a like a college sport that wasn't involved with it become involved with it recently? I don't know about recently. Um, I'm trying to think of any, any new sports are on the rise. That's the weird thing about traditional sports is that they've been around for hundreds of years. Um, and I can't think of anything on the top of my head, at least, that I know that uh, joined the NCAA fairly late. Because um, I know, because like whenever it was formed, like you formed it around these games rather than you formed yeah. it and then the games came in. The only thing I could really think of is like maybe like, I don't know if rug, rug, rugby is involved. Rugby at all. might be a good. Because uh, I know that was on example. the rise in America for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not too sure on that. That's something that I'd have to look on beforehand or talk to some of my fellow coaches at Coker. But um, if I think it's going to be involved, it's going to be slow. NCAA, they they definitely have their eyes on esports. Don't think that they're sleeping on it. Don't think that they're not doing their research because they definitely are. They're just unsure of if it's worth it for them to get into it right now. And then at the same time, esports has to realize, is it worth it for us to join? Of course, it brings in a lot of stability. It brings in a lot of press. It brings in a lot of stuff that's going to benefit the esports scene. But it's also going to take a lot of a way that the esports scene is. Amateurism, um, being able to play on, of course, amateur teams and co collegiate teams as well. And it just adds in a lot of restrictions that players might not want to have to deal with and might just quit straight up because they would be like, well, I'll just go play on an amateur team and not have to go to college. So it brings in a lot of restrictions for the esports scene. And I feel like that's something why we don't want to get involved in it and why the NCAA is very hesitant. Uh, my, in my opinion on how the timeline will go, we're at the point of where a lot of D2 schools are adding it. Once the majority of D1 schools add it to their program and start doing something with it, that's when the NCAA will be taking it a lot more seriously and potentially get involved. But at the same time, uh, NACE right now, which is practically the NCAA of esports, is also on the rise. So it might get to the point where schools are like, well, yeah, NCAA is involved in it, but we don't have to do that. NACE has already been doing a lot of stuff. They're already structured. They're giving us a lot of the, the support that we need. So 
the NCAA has to see this and realize that they are on a time crunch. If they wait too long, there'll just be another org that's better for the scene. And I think that makes a lot of sense because if you think about the NCAA picking it up, how do they pick it up? Do they go, okay, well, we're going to pick up esports. Well, esports is a lot of different games that come and go, and they're all very different on how they're played out. Like, you wouldn't have the same rules for football as you would basketball because they're different games, right? So you got to think, are are they going to pick it up as a whole? Are they going to pick up individual games? And then you also worry about individual games coming and going too. So I definitely think it might be a little bit out of the NCAA's scope. So having other organizations form around it with the with like esports in mind and them being just like an esports centered organization that definitely has its appeal to it yeah i feel like if the best opportunity for them is to if they ever have uh the opportunity is to just acquire nace and have them continually running it just under the ncaa branch Uh, because like you said like you don't have the same rules to football you won't have the same rules for soccer and that goes into the recruiting scene there's different time periods for everything there's different restrictions on different games or at different sports, will you do the same for League of Legends, Hearthstone, and Overwatch and all the other games? Which ones do you add? What are the seasons for those games? What are the restrictions on it? There's a lot that they would have to add into place. And I feel like one of the biggest hurdles that they have is that amateurism side of it, because they know for a fact that if that esports will fight tooth and nail to keep amateurism, there's almost nothing that there's almost no one in esports that wants to get rid of amateurism. It, it's basically what made this scene what it is today. So they probably see this, and that's one of the big reasons why they're very hesitant on it. Yeah, and I definitely know that the NCAA has brought in consultants recently for, mm-hmm. um, for esports just to it basically explain things to them and, and definitely weigh things out. So um, I, I, I don't know. I think... I don't want them to be involved just because like oh, especially being like a Penn State student <laughs> like the NCAA is like almost like a, a cuss word there so yeah I, I don't want the NCAA involved it makes my job 10 times harder um, and until I see that it's best for the scene then I would want them involved but at this stage I don't think the NCAA joining in is the best for the scene because Right now, we're still growing and at an ex- exponential rate. The last thing we need is any sort of roadblock, any sort of hurdle that's going to limit that growth. So until we start to hit that plateau mark of, okay, we had the schools, we're very, we're set in what we're doing, we're structured, we're good to go, maybe then the NCAA could come in and, and help us get away from that plateau mark or even if we're on a slight decline, they could give us that boost that we need. But right now, it would probably limit our growth if they would join in. And so just to play like uh, like the other side for a little bit, now, do you think it might be a good thing to have regulations? Because like, say that you're going up and you're growing and you guys you guys are blowing up in, in like the yeah. collegiate scene and say that you're, you have like a super solid team and you're starting to win and someone like Ohio State comes in and they're just like, all right, well, here's a couple million dollars at our own team. And then they do the unregulated side of it and they end up like, scooping up like us all the best players because there's no regulations and yeah. they're just super heavy-handed with it do you think that is definitely a risk um of not going the ncaa route oh that's a huge risk yeah like you said the biggest schools come in and they have money over you they're obviously going to take the students away from you because my school we can't offer full scholarships while others can but right now there's only three schools out there so it's not too bad for for us but when it gets to the stage where it's like okay all d1 schools all let's say 50 D1 schools, go ahead and join in. That's now 50 teams worth that I cannot 
get players for. Like that is a huge player base that's taken away from me and going to make it t- much tougher. Like even if they're not offering scholarships, it's still a D1 school. There are a lot of people who are going to want to go to them. And if they can play esports there too, as well, even if they get no scholarship, they're more than happy to do that. So it's going to be really tough for me. Um, one thing that we've been talking about for a bit, at least with NACE, that we would love to see added in is um, trade restrictions, where a player can't just play with you at one at for one year and then just be like, oh, you know what, I'm gone. They they like they and they just go to a new team. So there, I, mean, I would like to see some sort of transfer restrictions in that regard. Um, besides that, I don't know if there's anything else that would be needed because. One that's actually kind of funny is after, after talking to Drake, who, again, is the head coach for Columbia College, um, he says there's a lot of just shifting around between Columbia, Maryville, and Harrisburg. There's te- there are teams that they were at Columbia. The players would go and then try out for Harrisburg and Maryville as well and try to see what the best fit for them is, which I love seeing. You see that in professional sports all the time. But it's definitely tough as a director, tough as a coach, where – Every year you have to worry about, is my team going to leave? Are these players just going to go to bigger and better things and leave me with no team for the next year? It'd be nice to have some sort of guarantee that like, okay, there's a transfer deadline or at least where it's like they can't wait until July and then just say, oh yeah, by the way, I'm not coming next year. That would just kill me right now if someone would do that. Yeah, because then you have no players at that point. Yep. Even in esports, like too, like, the hardest part about traditional sports versus esports is that you could lose a pitcher in baseball and it doesn't really hurt you too much. You could lose losing a starting quarterback would be tough. Like it's kind of like losing a mid laner is like losing a starting QB because he's such a heavy impact of the team. Like losing a wide receiver doesn't hurt you as bad as losing your pivotal player. And in esports, every position is that star QB. There's no like at least in Overwatch, there is a little bit of overlap but with how um specialized a lot of these players are it's practically the same as losing a qb because you can't just get your off tank and switch them to the main tank position it's two vastly different positions so because of all the specialization that happens in esports it's really tough to lose just one player and try to fill them in because losing a mid laner you have to look specifically for a mid laner you can't just bring anybody back in and replace them yeah, that is that is kind of interesting and definitely a lot less roles involved because like football team has like how many different positions, right? They have these giant teams with a ton of different positions. Probably like six or seven each side, I'd oh, say. Yeah, at least. And at then least. on top of that, the team is like at least twice that size because you have people yeah. on the bench and everything and you like the practice and all that. And comparatively, esports teams are very small compared mm-hmm. to any, any other sports team out there. So... Um, I mean, I mean, uh, what we're kind of seeing is like even with Overwatch League, like they have a, they're getting kind of decent sized teams for that reason specifically. Yeah. Um, I was watching the matches last night, and there was constant swaps between them because they have two players who play the same role, so that they can keep swapping out, and it's not a huge issue because like, you know, say if you're playing and a player just gets fatigued a little bit, and he's like maybe in the DPS role, you can't just like keep up with it, just swap them right out because otherwise kind of screwed over because no one else can take up that position yeah and it's really cool to see with overwatch that there's not just specialization as in certain roles but there's specialization within those roles like for example you could have uh two projectile dps players on your team 
And it's like, someone's like, oh, I, I main Hanzo. The other, I main Junkrat. I main Farah. And you could switch them out like, oh, we have a map that's really Farah heavy. We bring in our Farah player. So instead of just saying like, oh, we're bringing in our top projectile DPS, we'd be like, oh, we're just going to bring in our top specific player that we need for this exact map. And that's really cool for the pro scene. Very tough in the collegiate scene because that's more players that you need. But it's at least a lot um, better for what we're able to do. Because at, at Coker, we actually have three DPS players. And we are still um, missing a, a main uh, player for our off-tank position. But what we're able to do is because how, how um, well these players are at adapting, we've actually had them each pick up a different off-tank and then they each play specific DPS players so that we have a way to swap them in and out so that they could go to that off-tank role and not be at a handicap. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I noticed about you guys signing players, at least um, a little bit earlier on, is you would sign a player, you would have like a, a press release about it, mm -hmm. and you would also include like a highlights clip. Mm -hmm. I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. Did, did you do that directly or did you have someone else do that? Or what was the formation of that? Um, that was one of those things where they asked like, oh, what can we add in for like, what can we do to highlight these players? And as soon as I said highlight, but they, they, their eyes lit up, they, they loved the idea of that. Um, so it was one of those things where it's like, as soon as I even mentioned it, they were like all on board, like, yes, we have to do this. And it made it a lot easier. Like Overwatch makes it so simple. They just get play of the games and send that to us. And we just throw that out there. Um, League of Legends, it is a little tougher because you have to record it. You have to go in and actually specifically get the, the footage out. But yeah, it was something that like just... Uh, one quick thing I said to the admins, and they were all on board with wanting to do it. Yeah, I definitely like that. It was it was definitely really hype because it's like, oh, they sign a player, and then you get to see how good they are. And mm -hmm. it definitely makes sense because it's a highlights right there. Um, so going into this next school year, um, which teams are you going to be um, running? Like, which teams have, have full, full rosters that you're going to be able to compete with? So right now, we're going to be competing with Overwatch, League of Legends, and Hearthstone. Those are the ones that we've... Uh, specifically recruited for we're going to try to get teams um for paladins and smite as well just from interest on campus uh this is something that we just thought of uh, this past week because i think it was like two days ago they announced this tournament coming up and it would be a nice uh thing to have for the players on campus who do play those games it, we probably won't be able to compete at a high level since we're not doing any recruiting or anything like that and sadly i wouldn't won't be the best coach in those games because i really don't play them but it's something that we want to try to get together just because, hey, there's a tournament out there. It's, it's, a, it's just a, a lost opportunity if we don't. But in my opinion, the games that we're going to be able to, the game that we're going to be able to compete the most in is going to be Overwatch. We have a really great team right now. We are still recruiting, but like our team right now is four Grandmasters and two Masters players. Wow. That's, so a, it's a, that's a stacked team. It's a stacked team. And I'm still talking to more Grandmaster players and hopefully going to be able to add them to the team as well. I kind of feel bad for some of the master players that are recruited that they might be relegated to the B team or sub positions, but we're looking to have a really great team for Overwatch coming in. That's really good to hear because, I mean, even a lot of, like, pretty good Overwatch, like, collegiate teams out there right now aren't running, like, that many Grandmasters no, or anything. It was mostly Diamonds and Masters, I believe, last year with, like, one or two Grandmasters sprinkled in. And this is something that I made sure to do as soon as I came into Coker. Because we, we, I talked to the admins quite a bit, like, hey, do you guys want to compete or are you looking to just bring players in? They said the main focus is we want to bring student bodies in. We need them to up up our um, student numbers, but we do want to compete if possible. So one thing I realized is that I should focus a team. I should make sure that to put most of my resources onto one of the teams because I'm not going to be able to spread out the wealth evenly just because of 
how it works. And I saw immediately that getting into League of Legends is was extremely tough, if not possible. I was competing against those teams that had full challenger players who had full full ride scholarships for them. And I knew that getting those players was going to be tough and I probably didn't have the money to do so. So I specifically went after Overwatch because it was pretty new in the scene. And like you said, last year when they competed, it was mostly those uh, still high level players, but not the grandmasters. And I figured that if we were able to get those players, it would help out for us. And luckily I found one of my first recruits, uh, Veli is his in-game name. And he's helped me quite a bit, a lot of coaching. He's been like, he's been helping me with coaching um helping me with recruiting as well like i said he found after i got him he added uh one of our players to our game actually our only girl in the esports team was recruited from belly and then he got me another player recently and she's actually sent me somebody who she's played with in the past so the one thing i always recommend i actually helped host a recruiting panel at the nace convention a few days ago in atlanta and the one thing that i always recommend and this is something that drake porter taught me as well when i asked him for advice is don't be afraid to use your own players' connections. They know the players, and uh, being at a very high level, you see the same players consistently, and you start to like get relationships with them, even if it's just something like, oh, I've seen this guy, I played against him five times in a row, you slowly get to learn their names. And it's something that they will know players that are looking for, for schools. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, I definitely like talking with you about this because love collegiate esports and this is definitely a new realm of collegiate esports i don't have any insights into so it's definitely super interesting but we're hitting about an hour now so we'll go ahead and wrap it up here uh definitely a really good conversation thank you so much rudy so if anytime anyone wants to check you out on any of your social medias maybe there's some high school students out there who want to reach out to you about uh, collegiate esports um go ahead and plug all that information yeah. now Sure thing. So my personal twitter is uh, at rudy cast uh, r-u-d-y-c-a-s-t-s um, that's where you'll see just most of my personal stuff. But if you're looking for um, Coker specifically, we have a Twitter of uh, Coker Esports. I believe it's that is our Twitter handle as well. Nothing added, no co no college, just Coker C O K E R, and then Esports afterwards. Uh, we are on Instagram as well. I haven't added too much on there, just a little bit of stuff about the gaming space. And then if you want to check out our team, be sure to check out our uh, our uh, athletic website, uh, CokerCobras.com, and you'll see all the other sports on there. You'll be able to find esports right above golf. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rudy. I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me. No problem. Anytime. Happy to be here.